Thank you. Thank you, Trevor. Uh, I tell you what, that men's fellowship sounds really good right about now. I haven't eaten yet. Um, and so sometimes when a pastor hadn't eaten or heard, we, we tend to cut it short. I won't do that um, today. But, you know, it is good to be finally at Calvary Chapel here in Richmond. Pastor Tim and I have been talking about this for a while as we've been fellowshipping through the years. And when he first invited me, I thought he was going to be here. And then he let me know the last minute he wouldn't be. So... I was looking forward to fellowship, but I'm happy to be here. My name is Kevin Edwards. I pastor the Calvary Chapel in Clayton, North Carolina, I guess about an hour and a half south, and I've been there it's almost 16 years now. We planted the church back in 2008, and um, it's been an amazing journey serving the Lord, and I am so thankful for all that he's done. You can keep us in prayer as we have a uh, building project going on um, this year, and so um, just some transitioning of... Uh, of location and, and ministry and things of that sort. So keep us in prayer when you think about us, but I'm excited to be here. And um, if you really need to come back, if you're visiting when Pastor Tim is here, he's an amazing teacher. You need to come back and hear him teach the Bible and, uh, and continue to grow. Um, and speaking of that, if you don't have a Bible in your hand or near you, then try to get one and get situated before we get into the Word. Um, we've been in here. I want to first, let me introduce my family. So my daughter is with me this morning. My daughter-in-law and my son uh, are here uh, with me, and so just excited to have them here, and I'm blessed. And so if you grab your Bibles and um, turn with me really quickly over to Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, and while you're turning, I'll just kind of share with you, I've been in Virginia since Friday. We did a vow renewal for a couple from my church on the beach in Virginia Beach, and uh, it was really nice, and, and it was just a hustle getting there. It was hot, a um, lot to do. And when I arrived, I realized that, oh, my God, God's got me here on the beach. I think the world just finished celebrating Pride Month, and here I am with a mic in my hand, standing on the beach with all these people who are just there for the water and the restaurant, and I'm about to preach the gospel and celebrate marriage, and we had a wonderful time on the beach, you know, worship. And <laughs> so God is always, uh, always putting us in situations where we can glorify him, and that's what our life is supposed to be about. Um, so I told first service to bear with me. Um, my plan was to teach in Ephesians. I think Lisa, Dave and Lisa had asked me on Wednesday night what I was teaching, and I told her uh, something in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4 is where I was planning to be. And then the Holy Spirit kind of interrupted that, and, um, because when, when you're a guest speaker, what you want to do is get one of your best sermons, because they ain't never heard you before, so just get the good stuff and deliver it, you know, and that's what I was planning to do. I had one. It worked really good the last few times, and I was like, man, I'm going to nail this thing, and then the Holy Spirit began to say, no, no, I want you to go here, so for some reason, um, for Calvary Chapel of Richmond, this is the section of scripture that the Holy Spirit has for us this morning. So if you're with me there in Galatians chapter 5, we're going to read verses 16 through, through 25, and then we'll, uh, we'll come back, pray, and dive into it. So be there with me now. Please say amen. amen. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lust against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law, and the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, 
idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, rivalries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And so, Father, we thank you this morning for the text that you put before us, Lord God, and we pray that you would teach it as only you by your Spirit can, Lord, and we ask that you would remove all of the things that would hinder us now from hearing what you would say, the cares of, of this life and this world as you've called us to occupy until you come. I pray that you would even remove distractions from the room, Lord, and that you would take our attention and that you would draw it to be upon yourself, that you would push the work of the enemy away, Lord, that that which is sown would take root and produce fruit in our lives. We love you. We thank you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so as we look at uh, this particular portion of Scripture, it's embedded in the middle of the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians is a a beautiful little book in and of itself because it's packed full of things that really would just transform or does transform our life. It's been called the the mini book of Romans, the Magna Carta of uh, of the church and the faith in some sense because it defends the gospel and our freedom in the spirit from the law. And it's so beautiful. Um, And so when we begin to think about all of these things that he's addressing, he's addressing the fact that we need to walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But he's put this teaching in the midst of all of that. In fact, he's just spent several chapters, as I mentioned earlier, saying that there is no other gospel, which is so important for us, because the people in the region of Galatia were being plagued with false teachers. The Judaizers were coming through the church behind Paul trying to tell them that unless you are circumcised, unless you keep the law, you're not saved and all of these things. And so the people were struggling and they were beginning to fall back. And it was Paul that said, hey, having be- oh, foolish Galatians have begun in the spirit, which we're going to talk about today. How do you now seek to be made perfect in the flesh? If we begun in the spirit of God, we were set free by the spirit of God. Then no works of the flesh is going to justify us before him. So he had to deal with that. And then he said, if, and if anybody comes to you preaching another gospel than the one that you've already received, from the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, then let them be accursed. And I love the word in the Greek for accursed. It's anathema, which sounds like it's got some oomph to it. In other words, it means damned to hell, separated from God. Um, and that's what it literally means, and I love that. So, so anytime that comes, I've had to, actually had a chance to use that in talking with some Muslims. I like the two-by-two two ministry you all have. I think it's awesome because you come across all kinds of people. So anyone preaching any other gospel, Paul went as far as to say, even if we or an angel from heaven brings you a different gospel than that which you've already received, then let them be anathema. In other words, he's saying that God has already delivered to us that word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, which Paul said to the Ephesians, when we heard it and we believed, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So it keeps coming up. We were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We have begun in the spirit. And so these are the things he's saying to them. He went on to defend the gospel. He defended his apostleship. He also confronted Peter 
the apostle because Peter was playing the hypocrite. Y'all remember Paul, Paul gives us the illusion that there are no superstars when it comes to the faith. Because Peter, this giant of a man in the faith, who would fellowship with the Gentiles there in the region of Galatia until the boys from Jerusalem would show up, and then he would back away and not eat with the Gentiles anymore. He had been eating bacon all week till James shows up, <laughs> and now he can't, he can't get bacon or barbecue because they're there and he won't do it. And so Paul got in his face and said, hey, man, your walk's not right. You, you, you're, 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 you're messed up, and you're being the hypocrite. And I love the fact that Paul would get in Peter's face. I love that because what that says to us is that nobody is above the truth of God. And there's nobody within the church or within Christianity that is not under the authority of God's truth. And then he went on to say to the Galatians, if, you want, if you're being tempted by these guys to go back to the law, what you need to understand is that salvation by grace is nothing new because this was given to Abraham. The gospel was actually preached to Abraham, and he received it 400 years before the law came. This was God's intention from times past. We know that because God said to Abraham that through your seed, all the earth is going to be blessed. That the gospel was preached to him. Abraham took that to mean that this seed that was promised to Adam and Eve back in Genesis chapter 3.15 is going to come through my offspring. He didn't know how it would work. We, looking back, know how it works because we understand Christ, uh, God who became man. Amen? We understand that? And fulfilled the law by living perfectly without sin and laying down his life so that our faith in him would justify us before the living God. But Paul is defending all of that. And he said to them, the law is temporary. It, is a, it was a tutor that we needed until the promised seed come, Jesus Christ. And now that he has come, we are no longer under the law, but we're under grace. But we are capable of fulfilling the law, not in and of ourselves. We'll talk about that but through the Spirit of God. So in all of this, as he's laying all of that down, he now brings us to this passage of Scripture where he is dealing with the Spirit, and there's a lot of application that we can take from it, but I didn't want to remove it from its context because the big one is that it's through the Spirit that we fulfill the law and that any false teaching that comes to the church is not of the Spirit, it is of the flesh and should be condemned. So that's what he's dealing with within context, but we then can pull from this so many wonderful things. And so what we're going to see as we go through this in verse 16, we're going to begin to see that Paul gives us a command as the Christian church and with a promise or a guarantee. We'll look at it in a moment. And then in verse 17, we're going to begin to get insight as to how all this process works. And then from verse 18 down through verse 23, he's going to give us some indication as to how we're doing. Let me give you a preview. Indicators, I always like indicators. I like to surf fish, and we put these little reflectors on the tip of the rod. So at night, when something hits, you can, you can see the thing moving, like fish on. Y'all with me so far? It's an indicator that something just hit that hook, which is about 75 yards out in the ocean. And so in here, these indicators that we found, the works of the flesh and all of these things, or the fruit of the Spirit, I'll deal with it later, those are going to be indicators for you as we go through this as to where you are. Let me give you an example ahead of time. An indicator that if you're going to work tomorrow, for instance, that indicator that you're in the flesh tomorrow is going to be when you get out on the highway and somebody cuts you off, the very thing you do next is a good indication as to whether you're in the flesh or whether you're in the spirit. And as believers, we're, we're called to understand that. And so when he says in verse 16, I say then, it's like the therefore. Pastor Tim tells you when there's a therefore, find out what it's there for. So I just covered what the therefore is there for, okay? I say then, because of all of these things, 
because there's one gospel, because salvation is by faith, uh, by grace through faith in Christ alone, because um, they're, 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 we, we fulfill the law according to uh, the spirit and not according to works of the flesh, because of all of these things, now he says um, in verse 16, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So the first thing I want to kind of do is maybe explain to a degree, because Paul mentions here spirit, and he mentions here flesh. And we throw these terms around a lot in our communication as believers. Um, He mentioned these two aspects of our being, if you will, spirit and flesh. Um, But I want to kind of cover what our entire makeup is as born-again believers. So if you're in this room and you're born again, and if you're born again, you know that you're born again. And how can I say that? Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that if anyone, uh, if, if the spirit of, 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 of who raised Christ from the dead, I don't have it in my notes, trying to remember it. If that spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in you, he's also bearing witness with your spirit that you are the children of God. How many of you remember that verse? Okay, you remember reading that before. So if you have the spirit in you, he's made himself known to you. All right, so we understand that. So then the reality for us who are born again is that we are triune beings. And sometimes we miss that fact. And the reason that I think we have so many difficulties is we miss that fact. So let me give it to you like this. When Adam was born, Genesis chapter 2, or created, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it actually says, just listen, you can take notes. I don't have these on the screen. But it says, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And he, a man, became a living soul, if you're reading the King James, or a living being, I believe, if you're reading the the New King James. Um, And so he became a living soul. So God basically took some dirt out of the ground. He molded it and shaped it like we used to on the playground as kids into a body. um, And Adam had a body. And because Adam was the first man, he was made perfect. He probably had abs and everything. uh, Everything was like perfect. There he is. He has a body. Okay. And so, yeah, because the Bible says he was formed from the dust of the ground. And so Adam has this body which allows him to interact with the surrounding creation. Um, It would be the vehicle that he would then use to operate within the earth to express himself to others. We express ourselves to our loved ones, our family members. We use the body to do that. And that's why we get so attached to the body that when we lose someone in death, it's a very difficult thing. The good news with that is that life didn't start with the body, and it doesn't end with the body. Praise God. Amen? All right, so Adam had a body, um, but it says here in the same verse that he became a living soul or a living being because God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. So his very life came from the presence of God and entered into this body, this vehicle, this frame that God gave him. And so then he had a body and he had a soul, but we can deduce from the from the text is that he must have also had a spirit. He must have been a triune being because God said to him that in the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely what? That's exactly right. And we read the text and he's still operating after he did that, but something changed and he recognized that something changed. And we know he recognized it because of the first thing that he did was get fig leaves and cover his shame, which is the definition of religion, trying to cover our shame before a holy and righteous God through the works of our own hands, if you follow me, or the works of our own life. And so he knew something was wrong. 
Um, something had happened when he sinned. He lost some of his spiritual connection to God. Some of the fellowship that he had with God was now hindered and different from the way that it was before, so much that he was even afraid when God came into the garden looking for him because he had sinned, okay? And so now this relationship has been changed. Now we see the effects of that throughout the rest of the Old Testament and going into the New In the New Testament, in the Gospel of Luke, y'all stay with me for a moment. Luke actually gives the genealogy of Jesus through the line of Mary. Everybody doing okay? And he actually says something. I'm going to read it to you in Luke chapter uh, 3, verse 38. He's finishing the genealogy. He says, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of uh, Adam, the son of God. So Adam was called a son of God, and in his created state, he exactly was that. However, the rest of the Old Testament does not refer to man as a son of God at all. It only refers to angels. It's not until we get to the New Testament that something takes place in this new covenant, that Jesus, his death paid for sin, and his burial, his resurrection, the proof of our new life in him for all eternity, the resurrection, he has secured that for us. So then it was Jesus that said that you must be born again in order to both see, which is to perceive the kingdom of heaven. So we don't even understand the kingdom of heaven until we're born again, or to enter the kingdom of heaven, John chapter three. So then something's changed. What does that change? Well, we're back now to being sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, Romans chapter eight says it. Romans 8, 13 and 14, I'm gonna read it to you. It says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Now we're already born dead in sins and trespasses. So we understand that we're, we're born dead. Meaning when we, were, when we were born, you know, cute little baby, we love them, they're so cute, we dedicate them, they're, but they're little sinners. You take them home, and they're selfish, and they cry, and, that, and it's because they're, they're, they're not born um, with the spirit if, in them, if you will. Okay, so we understand that. Um, but he says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deed to the flesh, you will live. Praise God. Then he says, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are sons of God. Even Galatians later says in another place, for you are, you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So now we are sons and daughters of God. That means if you're born again and here this morning, you are a triune being. You are connected to God for all eternity by the very spirit that he's put inside of you, crying, Abba, Father. It says another place in Galatians. Okay, and we have uh, a soul, if you will, the life that is has been given to us by him, our personality, that which we are. And then we have this body, the vehicle that we operate in down here. The problem is the body is still in a fallen state and it won't be perfected until the resurrection happens. And so that means that we inherently as born again believers are living in a conflict all the time. We don't even recognize the conflict that we're living in sometimes. It's so subtle at times, but we are. And understanding your makeup, the fact that you're a triune being, and your soul, if you will, is is teetering always on this desire, um, if you will, for what the flesh says will be good to it. The flesh wants to do what the flesh wants to do. You know, it just just wants to, I'll give you an example of the flesh. There was, uh, I was at a gas station not too long ago, and um, I'm, I'm pumping gas, and I just hear this, all of a sudden, this, cr- this wailing cry, and I look up, and there's a father and a son coming, and the son, the son is having a 
fit. He's throwing a tantrum because he didn't want whatever the dad bought him in the store. He wanted something else, and he's throwing a fit. And so I'm listening to this whole thing. Now, where I'm from, that wouldn't have happened. Um, <laughs> so that's why I'm paying attention. Like, this is odd, you know? I'm like, man, I, I would have never gotten that far, you know? And nor my son, you know? And so um, then the dad did something that I couldn't believe. I see them walk back in the store and come out with what the kid wanted, and he wasn't crying. And I so wanted to go tell this young dad that he had just created a beast that he is going to be unable to tame one day. But it wasn't my place. I didn't do it. He didn't know me from Adam, and, and, um, and so I, I didn't say it, but that is such a picture of your flesh, wanting what it wants. And if you feed it, you create a beast that's harder to control. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay, so then when we look at this, we look at right off the bat, we have this command in verse 16 to walk in the Spirit, which is an interesting thing. He's, he's not making a suggestion. He's talking to believers. He's, not, he's saying, look, y'all have got problems already. you got false teachers trying to tell you to do this and do that and to, and to follow these rules and to turn back and you can't eat that and, you, and all of this kind of fuss and y'all are arguing and fighting according to the, pre, the previous verses you can go and look at. And he's like, you need to walk in the Spirit so that you can, as a church, be unified. As a church, you can glorify God and as individuals, you can be victorious. But you're getting ripped apart and you need to turn and yield to the Spirit of God, he's saying to them. So he says, Walk in the Spirit. He makes this, uh, this, uh, this, this command that comes with a promise, which I'll give you the promise in a moment. Now, first of all, let me define walk. We see walk all the way through. You know, sometimes we even use it in our language when we fellowship. I might say, hey, brother, how's your walk? You know, and, and stuff like that. We challenge each other with that kind of stuff all the time, meaning, meaning, you know, how is your walk with the Lord? The word walk means to make one's way, to progress, to make due use of opportunities. I like to define it this way. Um, the way one conducts him or herself and manages opportunities while making one's way through this life, and that for the Lord. So in other words, every last one of us today, tomorrow, we have an opportunity being pre presented before us in order to glorify God and be victorious in our Christian walk, and we can make choices that will set us up for that. And the reality is we, we get so distracted by this life as if this life has something to offer because we're, we're, we're caught up in this time thing. But God is outside of time. We can't understand eternity. Imagine, imagine trying to wrap your mind around something that is not measured by time. We don't have the capacity to do it. I look around the room and I see young people and I, I see old people. I see what, the results of what we consider to be time. The problem with that is, is it, it limits my thinking. This moment has eternal weight and value tied to it. And in eternity, I'm going to be thankful that I'm standing here trying to yield myself to what he wants me to say so I don't miss something or mess something up because it's his business, not mine. And I get to celebrate when I get up there. Does that make sense? Okay, so down here, I got to manage my time, my affairs in such a way that I'm yielding to the spirit, that, I'm, that I am uh, literally glorifying God with the moment. And we ain't going to be perfect and do this 24-7, and that's not the expectation. But man, I want to do as much as I can. Sometimes I pray now. Um, I didn't tell you this. My wife is um, with the Lord. Sometimes I pray, Lord, if I'm earning any new crowns, give them to her. You know, she's there with you. I mean, like, if I'm doing something, let it be something eternal. And so as I make my way, my walk. And so he says, this walk, walk in the Spirit. It brings me 
to the verse in Proverbs chapter 3 that many of you probably memorized, where the Bible tells us to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean out in your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. I love that one. As we acknowledge him, uh, he's directing us. He's making shifts and changes and adjustments in my walk on a daily basis. You see, the Holy Spirit, let me give you three ways that we can do this. You know, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Three things really quick. I want you to write them down if you're taking notes. So what does it actually mean to walk in the Spirit? This is something that we're all going to discover, but it starts with an understanding of something. It starts with the understanding that the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in me, that my, my, my body, my life, my soul is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 9 and 10, it gives it to us this way. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. I love those words. Paul just said this, if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, then you don't belong to Christ, which then would mean that anybody that belongs to Christ has the Holy Spirit living in them. Amen? As I said again, we must be born again. And, and this is something that you got to know. You have to be able to sense. You have to know that you're saved. Can we know that we're saved? The Bible says examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. How do I know I'm saved? New believers struggle with that. Anytime there's a, there's a, we lead people to Christ, they come to Christ, and in those infancy moments, they wonder, did anything happen? Am I really saved? And as soon as they mess up, they wonder if the God is going to get, you know, because they haven't learned him yet. But the more they learn of grace, they realize, no, he's never going to get rid of me. He's never going to throw me away. I have this security uh, that my salvation is secure in him always. The work that he began in us, he's faithful to complete it until the day of Christ, all those things. So the first thing the believer has to know is, wait, the Holy Spirit lives in me. That changes everything. Changes how I function on a daily basis. If God is with me literally everywhere I go, that can be scary, <laughs> but it can be purifying at the same time. The Lord is with me. I belong to him. The Holy Spirit in you is your eternal connection to him. He's going to be with you for always. The spirit of truth, Jesus says, Jesus says, I will not leave you orphans. I'll pray the Father will give you another helper, uh, meaning Jesus was implying another one just like me. Jesus saying, just like I'm with you now, disciples, back when he was here on earth, we read the gospels, the Holy Spirit's going to come and be with you after I leave which is good news. That means that God is with me. I, I wish it was physical, but it doesn't matter. He's with me. He's with you in, the, in, a, in a beautiful way, and it's great. Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go to the Father. If I don't leave, the Holy Spirit won't come. So Jesus saying that greater works will you do. So the, the picture he's given is all of us have him in us, and he's not contained to one physical location any longer. We can leave this place and go to 100 different places all over the world, and he's with all of us at the same time, working through us. And that's a beautiful thing. So the first thing, if, look, if you're going to walk in the Spirit, you first got to know that he's in you. And if anybody here today is struggling with that truth, then definitely I want to pray with you after service. All right, so now that you understand that the Spirit is in me, and because the Spirit is in you, as, as Paul just said in that Romans reference, then the body is dead to sin, and the Spirit is life and righteousness, that now we are alive to God. We don't owe the flesh anything, okay? Everybody with me? All right, so then the number two thing in walking in the Spirit is, well, if the Spirit is in me, well, then that means that I have him, he's available, he's there with me, trying to do a work in me. So therefore, number two, 
I must be open and sensitive to the influence of the Holy Spirit in my life. I should be expecting him to speak. He speaks. The only reason I'm teaching from Galatians this morning is he speaks. He has the ability to interrupt your day if you allow him and you want to allow him. I love it. I, I sometimes as an elder at my church and we, um, we teach the same way. A young man I met years ago, and I've discipled him. And so we, we all, it's weird. We think the same way. And we, we call it a download. Like, in order for me to teach, I have to, I have to spend time with the Lord. And it's almost like a download that the Holy Spirit makes from, from heaven to me about certain things. Does that make sense? But when I, worked, when I wasn't a full-time pastor, when I worked in corporate, when I worked in the world, it was the same way. You know, walking in the building, going to work. You know, sitting in my car in the parking lot, praying before I went in, having meetings with people. And, and all of this kind of stuff, and, and being in the world, being in this crazy, dangerous world where the enemy wants to destroy your life, yet the Holy Spirit's presence with you using the Word of God is leading and guiding you, okay? So then number three then would be, now that you know you have the Spirit in your life, now that you're learning to be sensitive to the influence of the Holy Spirit, and I'll try to talk about that in a minute, then you then need to pattern your life according to the influence of the Holy Spirit. you got to put some action, some faith to it now um, because he is leading you, he is guiding you, and you need to yield to what that says. Um, in fact, uh, Ephesians 4 says it this way. It says, therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We find his will in his word. Verse 18, Ephesians 4.18 says, and do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit which I love that. Be filled with the Spirit. Do not be drunk with wine. If you're drunk with wine, you're under the what? Influence of wine. Um, if many of you haven't been saved, um, you know, none of us were. I, I hate when people said, I've been saved all my life. No, you weren't. You weren't born saved. We just proved that. You got saved at some point. So many of you, maybe before you got saved, might understand what that means to be drunk with wine. And I, I pray many of you don't. But when you're under the influence, you, it, it, it changes you and it changes how you function. You don't walk a certain the way you normally would. You don't talk the way you normally would, and you don't have the the um, you don't have the faculties about you to make the decisions and analyze things the way you normally would when you're under the influence of alcohol. So Paul compares this in this way. He says, "Do not be drunk with wine," but he says, "But be filled with the Holy Spirit," and that's a good thing. In other words, be fully yielded to and under the influence of the Spirit of God in your life, because he wants to lead and direct you. And, and as you learn of him in his word, you become more and more sensitive. Why? Because he wrote the word. Um, the personality of the Holy Spirit wrote the word of God. So when you're reading the word of God, you're literally learning of the work of the Holy Spirit and in, in, in all of the things of God so that you become more sensitive to the things of the Spirit. Does that make sense? You know, you can't separate the two. The word of God must be your diet. It must, and I know I'm talking to Calvary Chapel people, so, but this is the thing that we have to be reminded of. We have to have a diet of the word as we spend time in prayer, as the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, and he shows you things. And as he shows you things, it's just like with anything else. Anything you do, you get better at it the more you do it, okay? And then you become very sensitive to it. You can almost do it with like second nature at a certain point. You know, you look at, um, you know, whatever. You can look at a, the, the most... The amazing basketball player to ever lived out of North Carolina, Michael Jordan. And, you know, he had all the physical ability, but he actually worked really hard at it too. And then it just became a second nature to him. Well, the same thing, 
I want to be as far as being in sync with the Holy Spirit. If I know he's in me, I need to yield and be sensitive to his influence, and then I need to pattern my life. That's the faith part. I need to do that which he is leading me to do because what he is leading you to do is going to be very different from anything that your flesh may want. You'll find yourself, guys, you'll be going through your day and, you know, something will come across your path that used to catch your eye and the flesh wants you to look, but you've spent so much time with the Lord, you don't want to look because you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit and his word, and it offends you to even want to do it now. So it's changing you, and you begin to recognize it. That's a good thing. Okay. All right. So he says in verse 16, um, he says, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The lust meaning the desires, the craving, the longings, the desire for what is, uh, is the flesh is wanting to experience whatever that thing is. Um, Everyone here in this room struggles with something, some desire of the flesh that is uh, something that can trip you up. You know what it is. You know where it is. You know when it comes. And what I'm trying to say is as, as you understand those things, as you yield to the spirit, as you walk in the spirit, as you make your way through this life, being very sensitive to that which the spirit is leading you to do, you will not, as the scripture is saying, fulfill those desires. There needs to be a hunger in you for the very Spirit of God and for the very Word of God. Your desire to be close to God must be more than your desire for other things. There is a psalm, Psalm 42, verses 1 through 2, that goes this way. As the deer pants for water brooks, and I'm, I'm a country boy, so I go deer hunting each year, and and I see, you know, it's when they come to a stream of water and they find, no, I'm sorry. Some of y'all looked at me like, you killed the deer? I'm so, <laughs> so, so sorry. Um, as a deer, let me just read the psalm. It says, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before you? David, long to be in the presence of God. He thirsts for him. Uh, David also said, your, your word is better than food in another place to me. You know, David was in love and desiring to be close to God. Um, Tozer wrote it this way, and Tozer was not formally trained, A.W. Tozer, but he says, uh, when God divided Canaan for the tribes of Israel, Levi received no share in the land. Many of you know that. Uh, God said to him simply, I am your portion and your inheritance. And so those words are so beautiful because what it means is, and especially for us who are born again, because like them, the Lord is our portion. He is our inheritance. It's hard to see that sometimes because the world looks like it has so much to offer, but everything in the world is going to burn. It ain't, we ain't taking nothing with us. I've done many funerals. There are no U-Hauls following us to the, to the, to the burial. We're not naked we came in and naked we shall leave, but we have eternal riches laid up before us when we get there. And so he longed to see the Lord. The Lord is my portion. The Lord is enough. Here's a prayer that Tozer wrote. And remember, this is a man that wasn't formally trained, but this is what he wrote in his prayer. He said, oh God, I have tasted thy goodness and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my needs of further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire. Oh God, the triune God, 
I want to want thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me thy glory, I pray thee, that so I may know that thee indeed. Begin in me mercy and a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Then give me grace to rise and follow thee. Up from thy pity lowland, where I have wandered so long. In Jesus' name, amen, Tozer said. And I, I can feel his, his cry. Um, if you've ever in your life had a love for God's word that is no longer there, or if you've ever in your life had just a desire to spend time with him that is no longer there, then it's time for you to begin today to pray for a fresh renewal. Now, in verse 17, he says, uh, for the flesh less against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things in which you wish. That's a beautiful verse. I love that verse. That verse is saying that we have built into our new creation, our new life that God has given us in the spirit, a safety feature. I like safety features. They keep me from hurting myself. My you know, riding lawnmower has a safety feature. You're cutting grass, but if you hop off to pick something up, it disengages and shuts down so you don't cut your, your foot off. Isn't that a beautiful thing? You know, safety features that we come up with, and you can think of many of them, um, but, but in, this, in the look, in the text, we have one here. In other words, he's saying that the flesh is lusting against the spirit, which we already know, but the spirit is also lusting against the flesh. They're contrary. They're at war with one another so that we don't kill ourselves in sin. Because without that, I would kill myself with sin. In other words, for the believer in the room, inside of you is an inner war that is inherently happening every day. No matter how spiritually mature you think you are, you are in a battle as soon as you wake up in the morning. You're sometimes struggling in your dreams. You can't even wake up, and it's already a battle going on. <laughs> There's this inner battle, but it's a good thing. And if you sense that battle, that means you're saved. Because if you weren't saved, there would be no battle. Before I was saved, I didn't battle. I didn't struggle. I just got up to sin. Sin was what I planned. We would plan sin. We, we, would, we scheduled sin. And we would call all of our friends to make sure that they were going to be there for the sin fest on time. Because that's what we live for, the flesh, the fulfilling our flesh. That's what we were all about. And then you get saved and you try to go back and sin again. And all of a sudden, this war has begun on the inside of you, and you can't enjoy the sin, which puts you as like a fish out of water, and you don't know what to do. That is good news. Amen. That is really good news. That's what Paul is saying to us. Hey, you're born again now. You can't just live the way you used to live. That's not going to work out for you. There's a safety feature built into this thing, and there's a battle going on. Let me, let me just throw this in, because not only do we have the inner war that's happening, we also have this cosmic war that we're engaged in because see Satan who understands that your soul is your spirit and your flesh are playing tug of war with your soul. So what he does is try to, he tries to pad the thing on the flesh side by throwing snares in your path. They kind of get you in the flesh and in sin so he can destroy your life or at least get you to the point that you are no longer effective for God and that your life doesn't appear to be anything of God so that you can't lead anybody else to him. Okay. So you got two wars that you're in. You got the flesh, which is dead and trying to drag you into sin. And you got Satan that wants to, in any way he can, destroy your witness, destroy your walk. 
And in all of that war that's happening, you're in a constant war zone. I don't know if any of you guys are military guys. I hang out with Marines from Camp Lejeune sometimes that have been done all of these tours and whatnot. A constant war zone. It's crazy. Um, but guess what? Paul is saying here that the spirit is the winner and can win if you allow him to have his work in your life. So he even says in verse 18, he says, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. I love this. In other words, he's saying that if you're led by the spirit of God, then there's no law that can check that. There's no law against that. There's, there's no even, not even really a need for law there because you're walking with the Lord. Even go down to verse 23 when he's talking about the fruits of the Spirit. He says, against such there is no law. Well, why is there no law? Why, why is the law not able to condemn you? Why are you no longer under it when you walk by the Spirit? Because if the Spirit of God is leading you into the ways that he wants you to live, then you are going to please God because the Spirit is his Father, his Son, and his Holy Spirit, right? We understand the Trinity. So if he's leading you, then you can't in any way go against the law which is why we as believers no longer need a law. We need to yield to the Spirit and be led by the Spirit, and then we fulfill the law. And, and I'll show you in a moment when we get into the fruits of the Spirit. So this is what we need to know and be reminded of. In fact, let me show you really quick. If you can turn over to Romans chapter 8, I need to show you before we move on, and I need to pick up my pace, I believe, to try to bring us in for a landing. So in Romans 8... We'll pick it up. We'll read in verse 1 down a little ways. Um, these are almost parallel passages of Scripture. But Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, first those who are saved, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The same language here. So in other words, there is no condemnation if you're walking according to the Spirit. Why? Because how can the Spirit condemn himself? I'm free. Because I'm in the spirit. All right. Then he says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. Because the, the law comes when the law shows up, it condemns. Now, God's law is perfect. Nobody misunderstand it. The, the law of God was perfect and it fulfilled its purpose, which was to show us that we were sinners and in need of a savior. That's what it was there for. That's the only purpose of it. Hey, here's God's perfection. You can't do it. So you need some help. And that's what, the, that's what Jesus does. He shows up and he saves us and he puts his spirit in us. And now we walk according to the spirit. Verse 3, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. Again, the law is not weak itself, but it's weak through the flesh because the flesh can't do it. So he says, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On the account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. It says in the likeness of sinful flesh, meaning that Jesus took upon himself a, a human body, but he lived without sin. He lived a perfect life as God in human flesh. And so, therefore, he was able to lay that life down to pay for sin, to fulfill the law. Now, verse 4, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, even in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Notice he says, for those, verse 5, who live according to the flesh, here it is, set their minds on the things of the flesh. For those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Verse 5 is key, but verse 6 right now says, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Why? Verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, but check this out, nor indeed can be because the flesh is dead and cannot be rehabilitated. It must be resurrected. Okay? So then the only way to please God is to do so in the spirit. 
And the way to do that, he gives us indication in this particular passage, is to set our mind not on the things of earth, not on the carnal things that the flesh wants, but on the things of God. In other words, renewing your mind. Peter says, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. How do we do this? Paul says another place, casting down thoughts and imaginations. In other words, part of the battle is just taking place in your mind, and you got to bring your mind into subject to the word of God. And you do that by washing your mind with a consistent shower in the word of God on a daily basis so that when thoughts come that don't belong, you can condemn them by the name of Jesus and by the spirit of God calling upon him. Um, You know, look, the mind is crazy. You could be sitting in church trying to worship and a thought can pop in your mind that does not belong. Anybody ever experienced that other than me? You could be listening to me teach right now and a thought can pop in your mind that has no place being there. What in the world? And I'm so thankful I'm free. I can say to God, like, Lord, I don't know where that came from. But if you can take that away from me, I appreciate it. I want to focus on you. And this is a constant dialogue that you can have with the Lord, okay? We, are, we need to uh, look at these indicators really quick as we close back over in, in our text in Galatians. All right, so now really quick, verse 19 through 23, these are the indicators. It's not an exhaustive list, but it will kind of help you kind of just evaluate whether you are in the flesh walking, I should say, in the flesh, or in the spirit. Verse 19, he says, the works of the flesh are evident. And then, but when we go to verse 23, he says, but the fruit of the spirit is. So we got two things. We got works of flesh, but we got fruits of spirit. This is already a difference. The works of the flesh are evident. The the word works there, it literally means the deeds of the flesh, the doings, the labors, um, that which one undertakes in the ordinary course of life is what it means. So in the ordinary course of your life, if you're undertaking these things of the flesh, then these are indications that you are walking according to the flesh. In fact, um, one commentator said it this way. They are after the flesh, of course, who mind the things of the flesh, the vehement desires which we cherish when we are separated from God and which we call sin are actually symptoms, more symptoms than they are in in themselves, for they show which way the wind blows and are telltales that betray the true direction of our nature. In other words, these can be tales, if you will, which way we're blowing in the wind. So we begin with, he says, um, adultery. Adultery is an interesting one because with adultery, we tend to dismiss it because we haven't physically committed adultery. The problem with adultery is that Jesus said, if you look upon somebody to lust, then you've already done it. So then, therefore, even adultery, as we begin this list, starts in the mind. And I like the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus, he makes sure that we don't live fake Christianity. Because you can live fake saying, I ain't ain't slept with nobody but my wife. Jesus saying, yeah, but if you lusting after her over there, then you're an adulterer. And you need to repent and turn to me so I can clean up your mind. And and it calls you to live victoriously. So this is kind of the flow of the heart of this thing. So adultery, fornication. Fornication is any sex outside of marriage. So that doesn't matter what that is, homosexuality, lesbian, integration. Whatever else they're creating these days doesn't even matter. Um, It's all in the same thing. Any of those things that you're doing outside of of the confines of the blessing of marriage. Um, Uncleanness in the physical or the moral sense. Impurity um, is what it means. Lewdness even. I'm not going to go through all of these. Lewdness, um, excess of of, uh, 
of, of, of wanting this, if you will, um, idolatry, desiring anything or putting anything above God in your life, sorcery, the use of substance, if you will, um, to, to bring comfort into your life, hatred, um, hatred and murder, kind of the same as, you know, anger. Jesus says if you've been angry with, if you if you've hated your brother, you've committed murder, you know, um, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath. We talked about that one on the highway tomorrow, outbursts of wrath, road rage is sin, you know, uh, selfish ambitions. We're taught to have ambition. We're Americans. We're supposed to land with free. We're supposed to go out and get it done. But we have to be careful that we don't yield to the will of God instead of going after our own selfish ambitions. We're supposed to be led of God. Dissensions, uh, heresies, all false teaching is of the flesh. All false teaching is of the flesh. Envy, murder, drunkenness, rivalries, and the like. All of this kind of stuff, you can begin to think about it, of which I tell you beforehand, this has also told you in past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. doesn't mean if you stumble in an area that you lost your salvation, but if you're practicing a lifestyle of any of these things and the things that go with it, um, then, then we have to call into question, hey, have you come to know the Lord? But notice what he says, and I'm almost done. In contrast, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, this word, karpos in the Greek, first used in Matthew 3, 8, when John the Baptist says, therefore, bear fruit worthy of repentance. He said, hey, your repentance, I should be able to see your repentance because it should be bearing fruit. The word actually means that which originates or comes from something else or an effect or result of, okay? This is beautiful. So remember, whereas the works of the flesh became evident, you can't help it. It's going to come out if you're giving yourself to those things. But here, the fruit of the Spirit, we find, originates with the Holy Spirit, who is the source of life. In other words, we cannot produce those things, this list of the fruits of the Spirit, on our own because it comes directly from the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come from within us. And that's good. I'm glad of that. I'm glad this list ain't something I got to try to do. Okay, that's a good thing. Let's read it really quick and then we'll close. But the fruit of the Spirit, you know, it, it, it's kind of like I grew up, we grew up, we had apple trees and on the farm and we had a peach orchard, which was amazing. But they never, they never got it mixed up. Like the peach trees never bore apples. And apple, I never had to, to figure out, you know, what's going to be there when I get there. You know, they, they do what they're designed to do. They're programmed to do it, and, and they do that, you know. And so he says here, but the fruit of the Spirit is, and the first one is love, because if you know God, then you love, and if you don't love, then you don't know God. So this is an indicator. Do you love? Well, what is love? Because we, we, we use words for love because we, you know, the English language is not very expressive. So I love tomatoes. You know, I love, I, I might love my truck, but then I don't love my daughter the same way I love tomatoes. I love her, you know, because we, so we don't have that in our language. The word obviously is agape being used here, and agape is a special word because it actually means a love which is independent of the one being loved. So it speaks of the one who is loving. So in other words, when you can love someone regardless of how they respond. Why? Because you've made a decision to love them. That's what it is. It's not emotional. It's not based on emotion. It's not based on feeling. Um, that's why we use it when we're talking about marriage. So in other words, a decision has been made to love regardless of how the person responds to that. That's why the Bible says that the way we see it is in Jesus, because the Bible says that God demonstrated his love towards us 
and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. So when we hated God, he still decided to love us anyway. And when ain't nothing, he didn't gain nothing with us. He just wanted to do it this way. Okay? Well, I can't come up with that on my own because I ain't, I ain't that nice of a guy. <laughs> it's the result of his spirit being in me that breaks my heart for other people and causes me to want to love. And I remember, I always tell people, I've only loved one woman, my, my wife, even though I had a bunch of girlfriends before her, but because... It was, I got saved not long before I met her. So I had the capacity now with the spirit in me to actually love and know what love was. You know, and the beautiful thing about love, the Bible says now about these three, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest disease is love or charity. But I still love her because it's eternal. Like love never goes away. And that's good. I like that. It brings me comfort. So love, I can't produce that. Joy. How do you go through something? How can you be in the midst of a trial and have joy because it doesn't originate with me and what I'm going through? It comes from his spirit. Well, how can you have peace in the midst of turmoil? Because I don't create my own peace. It's given to me by the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit of me spending time with him. It doesn't, it doesn't start here. It starts with him, and he puts it within. So then I can suffer long with people. I can be kind when normally I wouldn't be. There's goodness in me that didn't come from me. Faithfulness, I didn't know how to be faithful until Jesus, the faithful one, loved me. Uh, gentleness and self-control against such, again, there is no law because it's being led of the Spirit. These are things that are produced. These are indicators that the very Spirit of God has taken up resonance in you and is leading your life. And so, those who are Christ, verse 24, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so, if we live in the Spirit, and we know he lives in us, then let us also walk in the Spirit. There is a responsibility that we have to nurture a relationship with the Spirit of God, whom he's given to us to be with us while he's away praying for us in heaven until he gathers us in the air. And then when he gathers us in the air, we will then forever be with him. But until then, he is with us in his Spirit living in us, and we need to yield to him, and we need to let him lead our lives. Otherwise, we're going to struggle through this thing and, and have more difficulty than we need to. So if you could bow your head now as we close, I would just like to say for those in the room, um, and we've all been through this at times, so this is nothing to be ashamed of. Please bow your heads, close your eyes, and don't look at each other because it's private. But if for you, for some reason, this, um, this walk you have has been a little dry at times, maybe your, your desire and love for the Lord um, or the word at times is not as strong as maybe it used to be, and you desire for it to be renewed and strengthened again. And if that's you, then I just simply want you, with everybody's head bowed and eyes closed, if you could just stand to your feet in faith, because God will meet you here in faith, and I want to pray of you before we leave. Amen. Wonderful, wonderful. And so, uh, oh, Lord Jesus, thank you. For those who are standing, Lord God, they sense a desire, Lord God, to just be closer, to have a freshness, Lord God, and that is exactly what you want to do in them, and I pray that you would meet them right where they are, Lord, that you would begin to stir in them, that you would uh, consume them by your spirit, Lord God, leading them into a more intimate walk with you in ways that they have never experienced before, Lord. Let it be new, let it be fresh, let it, Lord God, just spill over and out of them, Lord God, and, and cause other people to want to know what in the world is going on in you, and how can I have it? And Lord, make them evangelists from that, from that conversation. Lord God, do a work in them, strengthen them. Let it be evident to all. We love you. We thank you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing. God bless you all.